Rachel Amaday, what a pleasure to be with you this Monday. Last week was a little lean on the podcast. We just did one. Uh, we had a really hard week. Um, ended up having to put my dog of 14 years down. We ended up having so many other family, uh, just stuff, people suffering, uh, extra visits we've had to make. It was just one of those weeks where it seemed to pile on. And so, um, that seemed to continue through the weekend. I will tell you, I have a not so, um, consistent habit, but I'm going to make it more consistent of reaching out to some prayer warriors when things are starting to feel like they're going downhill. And I don't know if you've had those times where you just feel darker, right? You just, everything feels darker. It's really tough to kind of push through whatever's going on spiritually. And um, you, you're not sure what's going on. You can't tell, does this feel like oppression? Does it just feel like a bad day? But it's been going on for longer than that. So been having a dark kind of couple weeks, reached out to an amazing prayer warrior this morning, and I already feel a hundred times better. So I'm going to give you some just straight up practical advice. If you're going through a hard time, if things are seeming kind of dark to you, if you're struggling with your mindset because of the challenges maybe that you've had to face, or if you just feel like something is spiritually off, don't try to walk through that alone. Grab your prayer partners, grab your Bible study group, grab your pastor, grab somebody that you think is a prayer warrior and have them pray for you and um, be vulnerable. It's okay to be vulnerable. It really can be a beautiful thing actually when you admit to people, hey, we struggle. We all have challenges. We all struggle. Grab a prayer partner. Uh, Prayer is incredibly powerful. And so I'm just, I'm grateful for my prayer partners this morning. How incredible that we can go before the Lord on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, what I want to dig into today, I think is one of the most confusing issues for believers. And even as a person who has gone to church her entire life, okay, and has studied and studied and studied, this one still sometimes stumps me and I have to sit back down, reread scripture, go back, rethink it through, because I think there has just been so much training that happened during my years in church. So much training to kind of gloss over this and make it very vague, very hard to understand, make it very far away. Now, we're, we're talking about covenant in the Bible. We're talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. What are these things? And I think that, I honestly, I think it's been the work of the adversary to make it vague and hard for people to understand because it is so central to what God is doing with people. Covenant is everything. By the way, calling on the covenants of God in your prayer life is powerful. When you go to God and say, this is the covenant that you have made. I know you know it, but I want you to know that I know it too. I understand the covenant that we're in. This is powerful. And I think the adversary has wanted the church to make a mess out of this issue. And they have made a mess out of this issue. And I guarantee you, If you ask most Christians, what is the old covenant? They're not going to be very specific about what it means. If you ask them what the new covenant is, they're going to say something along the lines of, well, after Jesus died, we're no longer under the law. Uh, This is also a very vague answer. If you really sit down and think about what does that mean? Because we still follow a lot of the laws of God. We just kind of pick and choose which ones we want to, right? So all of the answers are vague and they are unhelpful 
in your walk. So we're going to untangle the mess a little bit today. And then I'm going to give you something I've been really considering and thinking about when it comes to covenant versus law. And I'm going to hopefully give you some analogies to explain how I'm thinking about it that might help you understand what's really going on here. But first, I'd like to go through all of the covenants that God has given because there isn't just old covenant and new covenant. That's not really the entirety of covenant between God and people. And so I want you to know what these covenants are. There are multiple covenants that God still, by the way, these covenants are still in effect. Everything except for, and I will tell you what the old covenant really is in the list of covenants and how it got replaced and what got replaced. Was it the law? Or was it something else? Okay, we're going to talk through this. But let's go through the covenants, the major covenants of the Bible. We see a covenant made in the Garden of Eden, the Edenic covenant. And this is that as long as Adam and Eve were following God's laws in the Garden of Eden and were eating from just the tree of life and weren't eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then God provided everything that they needed right? And life was perfect. And they weren't going to have to toil and experience pain. And then after that came the Adamic covenant. This was the giving of the new roles after the fall, um, prophecies about destroying curses. Um, There was a curse that entered the earth realm, but there was prophecy that God would destroy those curses. Okay. We have the Noahide covenant, which I'm sure you probably have heard about if you've been in church for any amount of time. We know that this is um, kind of God's structure. Um, God's not going to destroy the earth, you know, through just water again. There's some instructions that also go along with the Noahide covenant, but that's another one. Then we get to the Abrahamic covenant. Now, this one is the promise the promised land, basically. There's going to be a great people that come through the line of Abraham. There's blessings and curses that go along with how these people behave, right? How these people interact. And there is a promised land. The people get to enter individually into this covenant through circumcision. This is really interesting. Um, This circumcision idea comes up, the circumcision of the heart idea actually comes up in the Old Testament, not just circumcision of the flesh, but circumcision of the heart is also found there. Now, uh, a teacher uh, that I listened to has noted that it's interesting that men are the ones who have to be circumcised. There's nothing like that uh, physically for women. Why is that? Well, there is this headship that happened you know, with Adam and Eve, where God basically said that Adam is the spiritual head, right? Adam has this spiritual headship. And we see through this Abrahamic covenant and through circumcision that that headship is actually kind of painful service, that there is a servant leadership requirement of men. And when men are doing that properly, that women respond, that the rest of society response. And when you see society out of control and out of whack, it is because men have not been in servant leadership in their proper place. Men have not circumcised their hearts properly. That that Abrahamic covenant is being violated in that regard. Now, we also know that the covenant that God made with Abraham, he said he's the one who's going to fulfill it, right? He's the one who's going to fill it full of meaning. He's the one that walked between the pieces. So with this covenant, Abraham um, wakes up and and basically there's this smoke, right? And God shows up this way. And God has um, killed an animal and split it in two. And you're supposed to, in these ancient covenants, walk between the two pieces of animal and have the covenant. And then you would cook the animal and eat it. It would be like a meal. So almost like a wedding. We're going to talk about weddings, but you have food involved, right? But with Abraham, God's the one that walked through. So he said, he's the one that's going to be able to fill it full. But um, nevertheless, Abraham and covenant Uh, required uh, circumcision aspect. Now we come to the Mosaic Covenant. This is when they received the written instructions, okay? The, The instructions of God written on tablets. There's blessings and curses that go along with obedience to these instructions. And, um, 
But what's interesting is so far, all of these covenants continue. The next covenant does not get rid of the previous one. So as I'm going in order of the covenant, the, the, the covenant made in the Garden of Eden, the Adamic covenant, the Noahide covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, none of these are done away with by the next upcoming covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is still in place. God is making a great people out of that lineage, right? The promises of God are still coming true. Okay, God has a nation that is like the sands of the sea, right? Or like the, you know, the sands of the earth. Like this is still taking place. So you have to re- remember just because a new covenant comes along, it does not obliterate all of the terms of the previous covenants. We still have the Noahide covenant. God still doesn't destroy the earth just by water, right? We still have blessings and curses that go along with obedience to God's things. This is still in place. Okay, so we're at the Mosaic Covenant. This is the one, the Mosaic Covenant is the one that we call the Old Covenant. We're going to get into why. We're going to get into what that means. But this is the one where we, and and we're told through the prophecy of the New Covenant, we are told this. Um, But we got to understand what that means what is covenant. Okay, let's finish out the covenant. So then we have the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant is that his house would rule forever if they kept his commandments. Now, who fills the Davidic covenant, right? Who comes along and fills it? Of course, it's Yeshua, who comes through the line of David, the ultimate king, who perfectly keeps all of the commands of God and who does a particular type of work on our behalf. Now, where does the new covenant get brought up? Well, a lot of people understand in Hebrews and in the New Testament, this these references to the new covenant. But where is the prophecy of the new covenant? Where's the fullness of it? It is in Jeremiah 31. So we're going to go there. We're going to read it. Okay, let's see what it says. And then we're going to hop into the New Testament and go to a particular location where it's brought up again. Um, I am going to use this one. All right, here we go. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay, I'm going to stop here. This is essential. This is essential. Every Christian that claims that they are under the new covenant, they are required to admit then that they are part of either the house of Israel or the house of Judah because those are the houses God makes his covenant with. If you do not believe that you are part of the house of Israel or the house of Judah, you are not in the new covenant. You cannot have it both ways. So this is where we get into the Douglas Hamp Um. Oh, and now I can't remember what it's called, but basically the concept of the fact that all believers, all that come in to the root of Yeshua, the root that was planted, all that are grafted in, have got to be grafted into the house of Israel. We are part of that house because that is the only way we get access to the covenant, to the marriage contract, okay? So he makes a covenant, he's going to make a covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband to them, saith the Lord. Stop. We're going to stop there. Okay. Here's how we know that they're talking about the Mosaic covenant. They're talking about the one that was made when God saved them out of Egypt And they go to Mount Sinai and they agree to be in marriage covenant with God. And then God sends Moses down the mountain with the terms of the covenant, right? The laws. Okay. So that's how we know that's the old covenant that this new covenant is replacing. Okay. We're going to keep going. Uh, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. Stop. We're going to stop there. 
The word for law in that verse is Strong's 0851. If you go to Strong's Concordance, it's going to tell you 0851, and you won't be surprised. That word is the word for Torah. The teaching and instruction, it is Torah. It says the prophecy is that he will put his Torah in their inward parts. He will write his Torah in their hearts and will be their God and they will be his people. This is a new marriage covenant. Remember in the previous verse, God says, I was a husband to them. But we know that later because they cheated on the Lord with other gods, he ended up giving them a divorce. This is how he's going to remarry them. It is a new covenant, but we'll talk about what actually changed here in a moment. And they shall teach no more. So verse 34, they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So what's interesting is we know the fullness of this covenant has not come to be yet. We're not under the fullness of this covenant yet. We are in part of the process of it because we're not in a place where people don't need teaching. The, the fullness of it is that they won't need to be taught any longer. We won't have to teach each other anymore because the entirety of God's Torah will be written on our hearts. So we will perfectly know how to obey God. We will perfectly know how to love God well and to love others well. So we no longer will need teaching. That's kind of exciting. I kind of can't wait for that, honestly, because I need constant teaching now, and it can it can be a real task to get me in line. Um, verse 35, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the city shall be built to the Lord from the tower of Hananiel until the gate of the corner. And the measuring line shall yet go forth over against it upon the hill Gareb and shall compass about to Goath. And the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields unto the brook of Kidron, unto the corner of the horse gate toward the east, shall be holy unto the Lord. It shall not be plucked up nor thrown down any more forever. Ooh, we got some stuff here, you guys. Listen. In verse 35, he talks about the sun and the moon and the stars, okay? And then he talks about the ordinances in relationship to the heavens above being measured and the foundations of the earth searched out. Listen, Yeshua in the New Testament says, Not one jot or tittle of the law shall pass until heaven and earth have passed away. This is basically Yeshua hearkening back to this covenant to say, listen, these laws and ordinances, these things that I will teach the people and that I will bind to their hearts, they will exist for as long as the moon and the stars and the earth. So this is, I believe, this is part of why we have this verse 35. The sun is given for light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, which divided the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation. If the ordinances that were given to the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth, if they pass, then Israel shall depart. It shall cease from being a nation before me forever, says the Lord. So listen, we are tied. We are linked. The laws of God, the laws of nature, and the nation of Israel, us, which is us, right? We've established this has to be us. Otherwise, none of these covenants apply to us. The covenant is made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. If we're not in those houses, we get nothing. We get none of this. But we are in inextricably linked to the laws of God 
and the laws of nature that we see. And as long as heaven and earth are in existence, the laws of God still stand. They are forever. And we need them to be because when they are not, when they are no longer, then the house of Israel will be departed from the Lord forever. And that is bad news, right? So we want the laws of God to still stand. We want to see the laws of nature still standing because otherwise, right, There, then, then uh, let's see here find the verse, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Hmm. Hmm. So if we don't have heaven as it, as it is now, and if the foundations of the earth are searched out beneath, it says, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for the, all that they have done. So the laws of God and the laws of nature seem to have this linking this linking happening. And then it talks about this day when I think Yeshua is going to reign on the earth and you're going to have the city of God. You're going to have, you know, and it gives you kind of boundaries in the places where it will be built. And it says it will not be plucked up or thrown down anymore forever. So Yeshua is going to reign and rule forever and ever and ever. And I do believe that after the reign of Jesus, there will be an eighth day. There will be something that happens after the seventh millennium where perhaps all of this does get changed, where perhaps uh, we do see a new heaven and a new earth and everything gets remade. And who knows at that point what's going to take place? Who knows? But we do, we know right now through the reign of Yeshua on the earth, his thousand year reign, the laws of God stand. God is very clear about this. These things are still standing, and we have testimony from the heavens and the earth that tell us this is true. Okay, so that was all kind of an aside. What I want you to notice here is that God is telling us that his covenant, this covenant, is a marriage covenant. And we have to think about what covenant really means. Before we go to Hebrews, um, so I, here, here's kind of how I look at covenant versus God's laws, because we have lots of different covenants. I named them for you at the top of this podcast. We have multiple covenants, and these covenants don't uh, cancel each other out. They actually work in conjunction together. When you layer them on top of each other, you build a 3D view of God's relationship with his people and with the earth. And so they, they kind of help you understand, actually, the relational aspects of God. But marriage covenant. Now, do let's say we believe in, in some of the basic laws of marriage. Listen, don't cheat on your spouse. Don't abuse your spouse. No, don't neglect your spouse. Um, there's kind of relationship laws that we have, right, that are around marriage. Those laws exist whether you're married or not, right? They just exist, if you are not married, you are outside of those laws, okay? You're not um, bound by them uh, because you're not in a marital relationship, okay? However, when you enter into a marriage covenant, suddenly those laws apply to you. You are in them, all right? Okay. There's a difference between the laws and the covenant. The covenant is the agreement you've made. You've made an agreement with someone that you want to abide by those laws, that you agree to the terms so that you can be in the marriage, right? This is exactly what God has done with his laws. This is what he did at Mount Sinai. He said to the people, will you agree to my terms in order to be in covenant with me? They said yes. Now, of course, they broke the terms time and time and time again. God was a faithful and patient husband until the point that he said, no, it's been too much. I have to divorce you. But by the way, I'm going to come back and remarry you, and I'm going to do it all legally. I'm going to do it all according to my Torah, which is what Yeshua did. And I've talked about that plenty, how um, even Paul talks about you know, the law of marriage was that you could not remarry someone after you had divorced them and they had gone out and been with other people. Well, the nation of Israel went out and was with other gods. So the only way you can remarry that is through death. A death has to take place. 
It's it's a law that nobody understood until Yeshua died and rose again so he could remarry his bride, so he could re-engage in this covenant. However, it's a new covenant. It's new. Now, according to Jeremiah, the prophecy of the covenant, the laws didn't change. Listen, marital laws aren't going to change. But what did change is who is enacting different aspects of the law and how those laws exist. So we know we had a transfer of location. The law went from being on stone tablets to being on the hearts and minds of God's people. And we don't have to do everything through a Levitical priesthood. We are now in the lineage of the priesthood that Christ is in. Something people don't really think through or understand, Yeshua was not a Levitical priest. He did not do the temple services when he was on the earth. He was from the tribe of Judah. He was not a Levite. He still taught in the temple. He still had standing in the temple, right? He still went, um, obviously, as their whole community did, went to synagogue. And he was able to learn, right? You could be a rabbi uh, and not be of the Levitical priesthood. But the priestly services, the physical priesthood, was the Levitical priesthood. We're told in the Bible that Yeshua is of a different type of priesthood, a spiritual priesthood, the priesthood of Melchizedek. This is the lineage we receive when we follow Christ. So now we're not doing all of the temple services through a Levitical priesthood. We are now doing them through the spiritual priesthood, right? So Yeshua is the spiritual priest in the heavenly temple who is also the sacrifice constantly before God. Something else to understand. Hebrews talks about this as well. Before Christ, there was no sacrifice for intentional, personal sin against God. There was no way for people to cleanse themselves for sins they had done on purpose. There was no route through the law for salvation. It didn't exist there. This is a concept Christians do not understand Through the law, there's no route to salvation. You could keep all of God's Torah perfectly. You still would not be saved without Christ. His blood and his blood alone. You have to go through him to get to the Father. And it's because we have a DNA issue. After the fall, our DNA was fallen. We need new DNA from a new human who had been perfect. That happened with Christ. And then through his death and resurrection, we can remarry. We can be in a marriage covenant with God again. Guys, this is way more simple and way more down to earth than the doctrines of Christianity Christianity make it. Okay, we need a new DNA. We get that through Christ, right? Think this is simple. We've made it complex and hard because we've wanted to throw away the laws of God. All that happened under the new covenant is the laws have a new location and they, we have a new way of enacting the temple services. We're the priesthood. We enact these things in our hearts. We're supposed to keep our temples clean. We are supposed to do these things before the Lord. We're supposed to understand these things so we can understand the temple better. We're not supposed to throw them out. We're supposed to understand the fullness of their meaning. In Exodus, God tells Moses that he intended for the entire nation to be a priesthood. And then when the entire nation, besides a very large group of Levites, sinned against God, that's when we see this, no, they're not all going to be priests, right? We're not going to have, God said, I want you to be a nation of priests, Well, that now isn't going to happen anymore because they defiled themselves. They walked away from God's things before they even really got started. So now we had a Levitical priesthood, one tribe that was going to be dedicated to being the priests. Okay. And this, this particular way of doing things, but we don't do that anymore because we are in the lineage of Melchizedek priesthood. All right. And we have a spiritual priest that goes before God every day in the spiritual temple. 
Hebrews talks about this a lot. Now let's talk about Hebrews just for a moment. Hebrews is one of those books where we don't have authorship really landed. Some people think Paul wrote it, but we don't really know. However, in Hebrews, we have glorious explanation of this very thing I'm talking about. Now let's go to Hebrews 8, because this is where um, the new covenant from Jeremiah 31 is quoted. Um, So here we go. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. He's saying, listen, when Yeshua was on earth, he was not a Levitical priest. He was not a Levitical priest. Okay, I'm going to change versions here because... Uh, I'm not a huge fan of the King James version of this. Let me, let me pick a different version. Hold on. They don't have the version I want. Well, okay. I'm going to pick then. It's so funny. We can pick all these different versions. Let's pick this version. Okay. Anyways, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. Christ was not a Levitical priest while he was on the earth. Verse 5, whose servant the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For, see, saith he, that thou makest all things according to the pattern shown. Oh, this, it didn't, it didn't update. Hold on. Here we go. <laughs> now it's updated. Okay, it says this. The, verse 5, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Stop. A lot of Christians say that because what the Levitical priests were doing were just a shadow of the heavenly things, that they don't, they shouldn't be in existence at all. I have to say, hold up to that. Hold up. Hold up. A shadow of something means that you are in the presence of the actual thing, right? If you are casting a shadow and someone sees your shadow, they're in the presence of you. Yes? If you are not there, then there's no shadow. Without you, no shadow is cast. Yes, that shadow is an outline. It gives it gives someone the ability to say something exists there. I can see its shadow, right? You don't get rid of the shadow. If you try to get rid of the shadow, you're trying to get rid of the actual thing itself. So if the temple service that the Levitical priests did, if the temple service we're supposed to do, if the laws of God are a shadow of heavenly things, and we're trying to get rid of the laws of God, you can't, you can't. You can't. They give, they give weight to the fact that the heavenly things exist. They tell you that the heavenly things are real. They show you the outline of the heavenly things. They give you a clue into what the heavenly things look like. This is why Paul says, right now I see in part, someday I will see in whole. Through the physical obedience that we have, we can see in part what heaven is like. We can see in part God's intention for things. Someday we will see it in whole, in fullness. Would you like to be completely blind? If you want to be completely blind, go ahead and get rid of the laws of God. That will make you absolutely blind to the heavenly things. But of course, that's not what scripture recommends. And that's not what this author is saying. Survey, they serve, what the priests were doing was serving a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. And God was specific very specific about how to build the tabernacle and what the priests were to do because he wanted to show you the heavenly things. We'll continue in verse five. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, and he's about to quote Jeremiah 31. Listen, this new covenant, this new covenant means that we have complete wholeness before the Lord. We have salvation, which means we can be one 
with the teachings and instruction of God. We could not do this previously. We had to have the DNA of Christ. The only way to get new human DNA that isn't fallen is for a human being to be perfect and then provide that DNA to the rest of the lineage. That's what Christ did. That's why he says this new covenant is better. It's because previously we did not have access. The laws of God could not be written on our hearts and minds. We could not be made one with them. And now instead of being outside of the law, instead of being under the law and what it says, we are now in Christ. We are now in him. We have access to obedience by a different route. The laws didn't change. The terms of how we keep the laws, the terms of who keeps some of those laws, the terms around the laws changed, but the laws of God didn't change. God made it better for us. He made it easier for us. Instead of having to go through a Levitical priesthood to access God, we now have direct access. Yes, this is a better covenant. Amen and hallelujah. As David put it, God's laws are perfect and forever unchanging. This isn't about God's laws changing. This is about the location of and the who of God's laws. Now listen, here's here's where the author of Hebrews then quotes what we just read in Jeremiah 31. He says the exact same quote, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Well, now I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. By the way, guys, this is in the New Testament. This writing happens in your New Testament. This happens after Christ, which means they believed these things to be true. The people after Christ believed that the covenant of God, the new covenant, was with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Nothing changed. That it's not like the covenant made with the fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. It's not like the Mosaic covenant in these ways. He's going to tell them, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws, my Torah, remember that is Strong's, the Strong's word for Torah. I will put my Torah into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. They shall not teach each one his neighbor. Remember, we're not there yet. And each one his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me. By the way, so this is continuing into the future. There is no point through all of this at which the laws of God are done away with. There's no point today. There was no point yesterday. And there's no point going forward until heaven and earth pass away that the laws of God are done away with. This is past, present, future speak here, right? These laws just found a new location. At least we hope they're finding a new location. This is the interesting piece of this. Slowly but surely, we should be accessing the laws of God in our hearts, learning them to understand how do we enact our role as priests before the Lord? How do we enact our role with God in our temple, which God, the Paul tells us, don't you know that your body is the temple? Do you not know this? We should be studying deeply the temple practices and services, deeply the laws of God, because we have a spiritual practice to be enacting, right? Now, the, the Hebrews author ends after quoting all of that Jeremiah 30, 31 passage. He says this in verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. So guess what? We're no longer doing things through the Levitical priesthood and through stone tablets. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Okay, so we have a new route into the Holy of Holies. We have a new way of doing God's laws, but the laws haven't changed. And so now, now we have to understand this. We have to really take this in. By the way, can I say it again? Isn't this a lot more simple than a lot of the Christian doctrines that you've heard? 
they're so vague. They make it so hard for you to understand. And then they tell you, well, there's a difference between all of God's laws. And, you know, well, we keep the Ten Commandments. And I, well, I guess, I guess we also believe bestiality is wrong. And well, you know, yeah, I, I guess we're going to grab some, some laws about tithing too. And you, you just start to get into this mess of doctrine. It's a mess. It's impossible. And then when they talk about covenant, it is so vague and they mix up the concept of covenant with the laws of God. Instead of understanding, there are like seven different covenants, guys. And none of those did away with the other one. They, they, they didn't obliterate the other ones. This is the only one where it says there's a replacement that took place. We replaced it because the old covenant didn't give you access to salvation so that you could have God's laws on your heart. It was harder. It was harder to do. And yet in some ways, the new covenant is harder to do because you have to do it from your heart. You have to mean it. When God, God always wanted people's hearts. He always said, love me, right? He always said, I'd rather you love me and obey me than bring me any sacrifices. By the way, the sacrificial system is a very interesting thing to study. And it's uh, there were sin sacrifices, just not the type of sin that Christ needed to come and and work on for us, that personal, intentional sin. But there was national sin sacrifices. There were Levitical priesthood sin sacrifices. There was um, neg- like uh, sacrifices for this unintentional sin. But we needed Christ's DNA. We need a new DNA in order for God to make us one with him and make us one with the Torah. So much simpler, yes? All right, so just to review here, just to review for you to think about, think about this. So remember, we're talking about covenant. By the way, all of this, all of this is about a marriage. It's about a marriage. Now we, like I said at the beginning, we have marital terms that don't really, uh, you're not going to abide by if you're not in a marriage, right? So if you want to be in covenant relationship with God, you are going to accept his terms. You're going to accept his teaching and instruction. As as the New Testament constantly states, if you love the Lord, you obey his commands because you're in a covenantal relationship. You want to be in a covenantal relationship. By the way, if you're not married to a person, you're not going to live in their house for very long, right? I mean, you got the roommate situation and everything, but let's just think of this as a family, right? In order to gain access to family, traditionally, a marriage has to take place somewhere. Yes? So it makes sense that those who are not in marriage covenant with the Lord are not going to be in his house for eternity. That just makes sense, right? So you want to be in that covenantal relationship. In order to gain access to that covenantal relationship, you have said that you love him which means you love his ways. But there is a difference between covenant, the covenant, and the laws. Again, we have seven other covenants. We have Noahide covenant and Abrahamic covenant. These are just agreements, relationship agreements taking place. The marriage covenant that we enter to with the Lord It's just us saying, we love you and we love your ways. We're going to follow you. We're going to be in a marriage with you, which means all the terms that come along with the marriage, we're okay with these terms because we get to be with you. The only way we get to have a marriage in the first place is because Yeshua died. That's why the Bible says it's only through Yeshua's sacrifice that you get access to this. Without his death, he could not remarry us. He could not be in this type of relationship with us. And so that death, remember, Christ is the only route. Through him is the only way. You can't get into the family unless you are in Christ. But the covenant's just the agreement between the two. The laws exist whether there's an agreement or not. And so the new covenant, the new agreement, is a change in how and where and who how these laws are interacting with, right? How they interact. So again, just a review. I want to keep it simple for you because I really think the church has done a number on people and made it so hard for us to think through this. 
the new covenant means there's a change in location of the law. Where does the law, where's the law going to be located? Now it's written on the hearts and minds of individual people because God can have access there because of the blood of Christ. Okay. So that's the location change. The who has changed. The Levitical priesthood, we now have a spiritual priesthood that we are doing this work through. Praise God. He is a constant sacrifice in the spiritual temple on our behalf. And so he stands before, he is not right next to the throne of God, a constant reminder that he has paid the price on our behalf. We have a spiritual lineage and we are now able to be a nation of priests as God originally intended. We are enacting the priesthood, okay? So that's the who that changed. And so the how has also changed in some ways. Like we can't go to the tabernacle in Israel and bring a giant bull as a sacrifice for our unintentional sin, right? We're not doing any of that. Now, I I do think that that will be reenacted in some ways. We see some version of prophecy where some of that stuff kind of, you know, is reenacted. And we do know that there will be a future temple where Jesus is going to reign. And we're going to go visit him, you know, especially the men are going to go visit him at least three times a year. We're going to celebrate his feast days. But here's what we do. We look at all the laws, we study them deeply, and we say, where are the ones we can do in all that say, no matter where you are, no matter what generation you're in, we're going to at least start with those. We're going to keep the Sabbath. We're going to do God's things. And then we're going to understand the temple service so that we as the temple We as the temple of God, we as part of the priesthood are enacting those things righteously as a a spiritual principle in the spiritual realm until we see God return, okay? None of God's laws have been done away with, not one of them, not one. This is really simple, you guys. This is not vague. It is very down to earth. And when you read scripture and you read where this new covenant comes up and where it gets repeated, and when you start to read through all of these people, you will, this will start to make a lot more sense. And you're going to read and you're going to go, oh, now I know what they're talking about. Now I know what they mean. This is so much easier for me to understand. And um, I hope that this has been helpful to you. I hope that it helps you kind of understand the difference between God's laws and then these covenants and and the covenantal relationship we're in and then what happens with those laws, how those laws apply to us when we enter into merit a marriage contract with the Lord and what it means for us. And I hope also it's inspired you because as I'm always trying to do this, I'm trying to inspire you to invest in your next steps of obedience before the Lord. I always tell people, start with keeping the Sabbath. Keep the seventh day Sabbath according to scripture from Friday night to Saturday night. Why? Because if you don't keep the Sabbath, then God has no time with you during the week to tell you what your next step of obedience are, number one. Number two, the Sabbath day is when God's people are meeting and you need to be invested in that community. You need to find those communities. You need to understand those communities. Number three, we are made for the Sabbath was made for us. This is what Yeshua states. So we need that rest. We need that time just to refresh spiritually, just to have our brains get a break, which we are made to take. And the science, the data behind studying this actually bears this out. The science has told us we need rest. Otherwise, we don't actually produce very well. We don't do very well psychologically. There are myriad of benefits. But if you don't take the Sabbath, then you are not giving God the time that he has said is family time. You're not showing up for God at God's dinner table. You're not showing up for, you know, if you're, if you think of it as a marriage, you're not showing up for the date. And then your relationship's going to get out of whack, okay? This is why the Sabbath day is considered the most important of all of God's holidays. And it is why it's every seven days because that God wants that time with us. And we should want that time with him. It's very important to be in consistent relationship. You know, I learned this week that um, your eye, miraculous eye, in order to see, has to vibrate 50 to 70 times per second. It's always moving, always vibrating. And in that vibration, it's constantly taking in different 
pieces of light which help you make shapes and dimensions out of what you're seeing so that you can actually see. If your eyes stopped vibrating, there wouldn't be light getting in in all the right places to actually show you any objects in front of you, which is so strange. Like if your eye wasn't constantly vibrating, everything in front of you would go blank. So it's essential that your eye is moving 50 to 70 seconds, 50 to 70 times every second. Well, there just happens to be 52 weeks in a year, which is 52 Sabbaths plus the extra Sabbaths, which puts you between 50 to 70 Sabbaths every year. And we are told that the word of God is light, that he is light, that spending time with him is going to bring you light. Just like Moses, when he went up onto the mountain and he came down with his face glowing and shining, he was in the presence of the light of God. And then he became light after being in that presence. So you are supposed to move into the light of God 50 to 70 times a year in order for you to have the light so that you can see clearly, so that you can bring light to the darkness and give dimension to what is good and evil and be able to define it because that's what light does. Isn't that amazing? There's aspects of your body that actually reflect the system that God has set up for you to even just take in light and be able to discern properly with all wisdom according to the Lord. It's incredible. It's incredible how God has these parallels everywhere. And by the way, I would love to do a podcast about frequency and the different parts of your body and what some ancient rabbis believed about health and frequency and sin and how sin is related to different parts of your body and darkness. And, you know, because God, listen, God's design is so incredible and it's so detailed and it's so interwoven. So that's just one piece. You know, I've talked about the body before and how it reflects a lot of God's things. I love that stuff. Wanted to share that today. Anyways, I hope that you understand covenant better, God's covenants better, and what the old covenant was and what the new covenant was and what the real differences are, not according to me, not according to Rachel, according to the Bible, according to the Lord. This is so important that we get this right because it is our marriage to God. It's our covenant relationship with him. And again, you can call on this covenant when you go to prayer. You know, God, we're in covenant relationship with each other. These are the promises you've made. I know you're faithful. I want to tell you, I want to ask you today, be faithful in these ways, God. We're in relationship. We're in a marriage. He wants to give you good things. He wants your prayers to be effective and powerful. Go before him with his own word. There is nothing more powerful than that. All right, y'all, many blessings to you. And I will be back hopefully later this week with something new.